welcome to another episode of Web3 Disruptors. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Mary Camacho, who is the Executive Director of Holochain and the CEO at Holo, where Mary drives innovation and delivery with a globally and culturally diverse team. Holochain provides a neutral territory for coordination at scale, a technology that's needed for solving global problems and fostering thriving, regenerative, creative communities and economies. Mary, we're thrilled to have you. Welcome to Web3 Disruptors. Hi, Jeanette. It's so lovely to be here to chat with you today. Thank you. Yeah, cool. So to, to kind of kick off, it would be wonderful to understand a little bit of your journey, Mary, and what kind of inspired you to get into the Web3 space. Right. Well, it's funny because when I started down this path, I don't know that it was called the Web3 space yet, but certainly there was a an orientation that that was there around creating a new world of distributed or decentralized activity. And for us, for me in particular, it was looking at what's happening in the internet and in the dynamics of how we engage together as, as a global society with internet technologies and how that's changed over the years. And so and I think we, we've talked about this before when we were chatting. And one of the things that we like to do is frame the Web3 in the context of like, well, we started this whole thing way back when the Internet was first designed, when the World Wide Web was created and people, it was very democratized. Like people were doing all sorts of things, putting servers under their desks. Actually, we didn't even, I don't even know that they were called servers, at least in my mind. I don't know that we knew all the technical terms and they don't seem very technical now, but everybody was creating things on their own. And we were engaging in a very sort of individual to individual way. Yes. Some businesses started getting online and creating websites, but you know, there were a lot of academics and a lot of individuals solving problems and trying to coordinate about their work together. And little by little, it became more of a big business opportunity. And I was pretty involved with it back in the day, right? We had an early web company creating websites before there were even platforms before Web2 came around. I was definitely part of the Web2 wave as well, creating an early platform that connected teachers and students and community members together. And that evolved into a content management system before the concept of CMS even existed, right? We didn't know what to call it because those didn't, those hadn't been designed yet. And so little by little, these platforms started evolving and the dynamics of the platforms in Web2 really created a centralization dynamic with a few big players controlling a lot of what was going on the internet. And I think with this work now in the Web3 space and specifically with my work with Holochain, a lot of it's guided by, well, that there seems like this is bringing some problems socially and dynamically into our global interactions. It's no longer about individuals on the same playing field. It's now about everybody, every individual in relationship to not even like a country or a government, but to a few 
special businesses that kind of control everything. Yeah. And we kind of got into this on accident and without realizing we were sliding into this by saying yes to all the terms of service that we agreed to, to use Facebook, to use Twitter, to use Google, to everything. And I think that over time, we've started to see not just us, but everybody has started to see that there are dangers down this path. We really need a way to participate, to collaborate, to be with one another and in groups in a way that maybe is disintermediated from these large institutions that we don't have to go through big Mm -hmm. business, big tech in order to have a conversation with grandma. So, so, and I think that example might not kind of point out for people where the dangers are, but sometimes when you get to the world of conversations that might not make other people happy online, whether it's in a social media context, or if it's because they're talking about a topic that is maybe not okay to the government and the jurisdiction that they live in. But is that any different than two people talking on the side of the street or meeting at a cafe? Should it be any different? I sometimes wonder about those things. And for me, for a lot of what we're doing with Holochain, that's a big part of the why we're in it. We want to be able to bring coordination, collaboration, whether it's with a few people or with groups of people or multiple groups of groups. We want to bring that possibility without having to go through big tech that really brings a lot of other potential problems. Yeah, completely. That was an amazing context. And it is very interesting, you know, how much our almost worldview can be shaped in an entirely different way based upon what I see versus what somebody else sees. And the fact that some that there is this, oh, this sort of big entity that's kind of responsible for deciding who gets to see what and therefore what I come away and sort of think versus the next person. It's quite scary when you think about it. And I think there's been some huge sort of events, even on a political scale, which have obviously sort of really kind of demonstrated that. So talking about Holochain then, can you tell me a little bit more about what the organization does in sort of layman terms? I'll try to get layman terms. You can (laughs) dig in if I don't. So Holochain is... A, an open source platform, or rather it's a framework for developing applications. I mean, it is something quite technical. So it's, if it gets a little dicey in terms of describing it, it's understandable. It's built for developers primarily, like a lot of open source projects are built for developers, right? But the idea is that just like with any other language or framework that you can build websites or that you can build applications with, the idea is that you can build any kind of application on it. It's a generalized framework. So like JavaScript or like a content management system is generalized. You can do lots of different things with it. Specifically, it's geared towards, it doesn't, let me, let me say something, step back a moment. It has the word chain in it. And so it lives in this space between, oh, we're just regular tech and, oh, are we a blockchain? (laughs) Right. And that's, I think it's really important. We actually use some of the same technologies underlying as blockchain, the same kind of cryptography. So it's, it has the security of knowing that you're using the same cryptography libraries that blockchain's using. It also, it's using the same idea of linking 
through a chain, hash chains that blockchain is using. But that's really deep tech, right? That's not, at the level that most of us are thinking about things. We're not thinking about how does it work at those low levels. We're looking more at, well, what does it provide? And what it provides is a consistency, a verifiability in that which is created. So what that means is that when you have an application that's running on Holochain, the transactions, just like in blockchain, they're cryptographically signed and they're linked together in such a way that you can see the history and that they're, they create trust through that history. And that's super important. But where they're different is that most blockchains, well, all blockchains, I think by definition, have currencies native to the blockchain and Holochain doesn't. Holochain is truly just peer-to-peer infrastructure without a native currency. So it works quite differently in the sense that you don't need to incentivize somebody to use an application on Holochain. They don't have to spend money to do transactions on a Holochain application. You can build a chat application or you can build social media applications. You can build supply chain applications. You can build games, none of which assume that you have to spend or pay gas in order to use the application that's built with Holochain. It's just peer-to-peer. It's having transactions between people and their actions between people that don't have servers in between. And so when you sort of think about the the kind of gap in the market and this is why the world needed this particular product versus the, the various different sort of alternatives or doing things on the blockchain, what did that ultimately come down to? Well, there's a lot of different areas that I would say this gets into and is really beneficial for. I think a great example that is just really easy for everyone to see is social media. We Social media is currently on large platforms, right? And over again, we see issues with curation on the platforms, issues with changes to the platforms that, that kind of pull away somebody's ability to participate or all sorts of things. I mean, just look at what's happening with Twitter. And actually, Twitter is a great example because even the creators, original creators of Twitter have been talking about creating something that's far more decentralized, far more distributed, that isn't built and dependent on a company being in the middle. And we've seen lots of evolutions of federated systems become popular as well. And I think a lot of this is because we're worried about that layer in the middle when it comes to social media of what's really happening. One aspect is that we're putting our whole life here. We're saying a bunch of things that Maybe we don't want everybody to see, or maybe we consider it ours, but the minute you put it into the system, the minute you put it onto the platform, it's not really yours to say anything about anymore. It belongs to a large degree to the organization that's running the platform and they're using it. And that's why they give you the platform for free. They're using it to sell it to advertisers. They're using it to like connect you to things that you might not even want to be connected to. Like we're talking about the moderation aspects or the personalization aspects, it is kind of scary that your bubble 
of what you think exists in the world gets smaller and smaller based on all these different parameters related to what you've said in the past. Suddenly, what you said in the past defines the only things you get to think about in the future. (gasps) I think that's just extremely frightening. Yeah. So with Holochain, the idea is that you can create these systems and you can design them without the inter, without the middleman, like platform, without somebody doing that. Yes, there's tech. Yes, there are algorithms that work in there, but there's a, there's nobody making the decisions that aren't, that it's not, it's very transparent that there's nothing in the middle making decisions on your behalf and you have a lot more agency. So. I'm going to step back and try to talk a little bit about this topic about agency, because I think this is also key. You asked, why did we create Holochain and what gap does it serve, right? The difference when you think about architecting applications from Holochain, for a Holochain is that it all starts with the user. A Holochain application actually is installed locally. And every action that you take starts and emanates from you. And then you get to say, who gets it? Who are you sharing it with? Now, obviously, you do that through an application that another coder has written and there's rules to it. And you agree whether or not with you want to use the application, just like with any centralized app as well. You can opt out of these things. But it doesn't start with that there is this pot of centralized data, right? The data is actually shared by the users of the application. And it and all of your data begins and ends with you because you first write it to your own chain. Each person has their own source chain, their personal chain. And then they share into a shared space that is sort of like this, like, shared database and everybody has a slice of that shared database and agrees to sort of serve it out and make it available to each other. And that's really important because architecturally it changes everything. The company, there's no company in the middle that is like a honeypot that you can go attack because the data is split up and shared between the members of the people who are opting to use an application. Yeah, like very community-driven. Yes, yes. So every Holochain application is its own database that's shared across the users of that application. And they can be connected and linked together in different ways, which is a lot why it is also something that can be used for supply chain solutions as well. There's a lot of different business applications that it really serves because you can make the part that people engage with small and modular and unique to the needs of those folks while maintaining the data ownership and sort of the data provenance for each person engaged in various applications that are linked together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So so within your role then, what do you tend to sort of find yourself focused on within the organization and also curious to know how you got to, to this position? So what's your background <laughs> and Well, I mean, journeys are funny, aren't they? You take a lot of different routes and you don't always know which thing is going to be the most impactful later on. So 
Well, my role, as you mentioned, when you started this, I am the executive director for the Holochain Foundation. And currently, I'm also the CEO for Holo. So I want to say two things. We have two organizations, and that's really important. One is the open source project that is Holochain. And then Holochain actually owns a company that is creating something that's not yet launched, which is the Holo hosting platform. And Holo hosting is a little bit like distributed cloud hosting. It's sort of like Amazon Web Services, but instead of Holo owning a bunch of data centers around the world, the there are individuals in individual nodes all over that are providing hosting services. It's sort of like a sharing economy for cloud hosting. And that's built on Holochain technology as well. So again, it all starts with sort of the agency of the individuals and the nodes. But the idea for Holo hosting is that everybody may not be ready for complete peer-to-peer applications just yet. And we might not know why would we install a Holochain application. We're so used to just putting a URL in a web browser and we don't want to create a bunch of applications that only three, four percent of the world is using in year one or month one. But instead, if it's a, if it's chat application, for example, you may want to know that you can communicate with somebody that just can go up to a website and also use it and log in. And Holo hosting is really that way to bridge what we're doing with Holochain that's completely distributed to where people are, which is on the internet, which is in browsers right now and making that easy. And so we sort of created them in parallel, but they're two separate entities with different purposes. And right now I'm working in both of them. Don't know that will continue long-term, but it's kind of been a journey for the last five years. And you asked about how I got to this role and what sorts of things that I do. I do a lot of crazy things. (laughs) Well, let's see. I mean, I've been very involved in product development, product design, and and this gets back that I have a long background and experience, 20 some years working on product development. And this has been in startups. This has been in telecommunications and other technology firms. I've also mentored other startups in their product development and done consulting software development in that realm as well. And that was an interesting accidental journey in many ways for me getting into that. I didn't begin by going to school for software development or comp sci or anything like that. I just got into work with a telecommunications company and operations. This was way back and ended up in a role where somebody expected me to do everything by hand and went, I was like, oh no, oh no, I need to automate this. But this was back in the day, there weren't a lot of systems in some of the companies that were, everything was still being done on paper. And it was just crazy. I couldn't understand it because I grew up at a time where computers did exist, but I was lucky. My dad was an engineer. I had computers in the house when I was little and I didn't always know that I was lucky. I didn't know that these things weren't in everybody's homes in many ways. But I learned early, I didn't like coding 
when I was a teenager. I liked doing what teenagers like to do mostly. At least I think I did. I was on the swim team and I played sports and did choir and did all those kinds of things. But I went home and there were always computers there. And so I could write my papers on computers and I learned all sorts of things that other people didn't apparently. And so then when I got into my early jobs in my 20s, it kind of showed up like I had a technical bent and I didn't know I did. <laughs> and so I, I just started solving problems. And to me, solving problems with computers was a little bit natural. And in the early days, it was database systems like Access. I was using Access, if, like I pre-ordered Microsoft Access before it had even been launched and then just dug in and learned how to make these things work for me. And it was just, I don't know, it was just what you did to make life easier. So some of that was just, I would say, if people are looking to get into things, follow your own passion and do what's natural for you. Because a lot of times you just teach yourself things and like, go for it and don't be stopped. That's a lot of it. I didn't know better. N nobody told me no. So I just did it. It's funny because I heard you say something on another podcast and you said that you never have applied for a job that you are completely qualified for. And I thought that was gold because I'm often trying to move some extraordinary female talent into mm -hmm. to roles and the kind of the imposter syndrome or I don't think I check all of those boxes and that sort of hesitancy you can really see that holding people back and yeah. really oftentimes uh, I'll end up having to really give some context about this is your competition and mm -hmm. your competition actually check only half of the boxes mm -hmm. and they're you, like You've got the guys running to the door. They can't get right. there fast enough. And so so really that dynamic, I think, is so powerful. Yeah. How did you kind of cultivate that mindset and what advice would you give to others? Do you know, sometimes I'm not certain, but it is that it's related to something that I think shows up in startups all the time. There's a little bit of fantastical thinking that goes a long way. You have to be a little bit blind to the barriers in order to just continue going forward. And it isn't that you shouldn't educate yourself. It isn't that you shouldn't kind of understand what you're getting into. But sometimes if you understand all the things that could go wrong, instead of all the opportunities of what could go right, you stop yourself, right? And so in some ways, the magic is continuing to look for the positive opportunity side of things and not to over-focus on all the things that go wrong. And I think sometimes as this is, this does get gendered, I believe in certain ways. I, I don't know if I, I have talked about this in other podcasts or other interviews, but I was profoundly moved by an article that I read. I don't know. 15 years ago, 10, 10, 15 years ago. And it was around the difference between how women startup founders and men startup founders are spoken to when they're doing pitches to investors. And apparently this is research done by social, social psychologists and whatnot, how in, in looking at the differences, not just in the responses that women give, but the types of questions that are actually asked of women versus men. Women are asked to explain 
lane details in the weeds of their projects to explain the risks, to explain everything that could go wrong and how you're going to solve it. Well, if you spend, how long do you get for a pitch? 15 minutes. If you spend five minutes on your pitch talking about everything that can go wrong to investors, well, then you're not exploring the grand possibilities that actually have them be inspired to invest. But the investors ask women these questions more than they ask men these questions. And so it's sort of like a defeatist cycle. So it's a mixture of like knowing that these things happen and then creating intentions and practices for yourself as a woman in industry, in in your career to like, I'm going to focus on something different. And so for me, I would say, focus on all of the places where you have gifts and talents and how those gifts and talents can actually open up opportunities. Talk to people more about the opportunities than the challenges. Yes, answer their questions, but move on into things where you really shine, you know, where you can show off how you shine and where you do feel confident because we all feel confident in some areas just not all areas. Yeah, so everything you said really resonates. Actually, the very first episode of Web3 Disruptors, we had Bridget Greenwood, and she's the founder of Big Pie and the co-founder of the 200 Billion Club. And so she does a lot around the VC space and, and yeah. getting uh, getting women projects funded. And mm-hmm. so she talked a lot about exactly what you referenced, the idea that she said women are asked preventative questions yes. five times as much as men. I think that was the start. Whereas men get these really, these promoter questions, which really allow them to be in this very anabolic state from an energy point of view. And, I mean, you can just see it. You can see how it yeah. kind of plays out. And so I really liked that she was able to offer some practical suggestions for women to to combat that right because knowledge is power but I also believe and I know she does too that there also has to start to be a change from the people investing right because there is no evidence to suggest that male founder and I think it's probably actually the opposite right is going to be any more successful and so in the end you have to start to to really look at where your own biases are creeping into things and let's be honest that the people sat around the table making the decisions they all have to look a little bit different and think a little bit different otherwise we continue to perpetuate the exact same experience and ultimately the same outcome exactly exactly and it is a shared responsibility it's the thing i like to consider about that is that the most direct access i have of making a difference is through myself and so i think if we take up the where can I influence this for my experience, it begins to seep in and become part of the social fabric. It begins to change things at the group levels. But yeah, what you're doing here with the podcast is a great part of that as well, because it's giving the voices a chance to point to these things and look at, well, what can we do? How? What are the different stories? How have people been successful in spite of some of these situations. And I think that's a critical aspect because we learn through storytelling so much. 100%. So where do you, what's next for Holochain? Well, we just launched the beta 
version of the Holochain framework this year. And honestly, what's next is just adoption and getting out on the road. It's bringing awareness to, hey, there's this thing out here that is, it may be a really great option if you're building something for communities. If you're a DAO and you're trying to figure out how are you going to operate on the social side for your organization, maybe you want to be looking at tooling built in Holochain because you keeps keeps it distributed, which is consistent with the nature of the organization to begin with. Things like that. And so we're going out to a lot of Web3 events. We're going also to open source events. We're going to a lot of regenerative economy events. A huge part of the market that I would say that's interested out of the gate for Holochain are are folks that are working in regenerative spaces that are trying to solve large global issues when it comes to climate change, when it comes to local ways that communities can create circular economies and how do we do that? Well, it's hard to do that with some of the structures that we have in the current technologies that people are writing with because they tend to kind of create a gravity in one place, not actually spread it out into the circle of the ecosystem. And so Holochain being something that is kind of built on more natural principles and ecosystem-based principles, it really tends to be attractive to those sorts of communities. And so we're getting out and we're getting in front of folks. We're presenting, doing demos, building prototypes, and it's really a fabulous moment right now. We're excited to be showing off the technology and working with partners and developing partnerships with a lot of different organizations right now. Yeah, congratulations. It sounds Thank like you. you're kind of at a really pivotal point on the back of some probably what's been a very long road and a lot of yes. uh, a lot of hard work. So I'm really excited to, to see how that plays out for you. For the women that are listening to this yeah. show, I'm sure there wouldn't be anything other than inspired by your story and kind of where you started and the approach that you've taken. What advice would you give to those that are really trying to navigate the space and, and, and progress, right? What yeah. have, have been the things that have made the biggest difference to you within your career? Yeah, it's really, it's a really great question. I think one of the things is to look at the space of Web3 and like really understand how it, while we call it a space, it's a hundred different spaces. Right. It's, it, there are so many different motivations, so many different types of projects and opportunities within it. And I'd say really look at what is it that you're passionate about most and dig in with that passion because the consistency, the longevity and the building up of your capacity and your expertise is really important. And secondly, really, it's about uh, sometimes we talk too much about knowledge and a little too little about sweet spots. And for me, this idea is what are the things that just happen that seem like magic when you're in the room? To me, those are people's sweet spots. And sometimes your sweet spots research. Sometimes it's detail. Sometimes your sweet spot is talking to people and creating narratives and telling stories and it just, you just can't be stopped. <laughs> other times it might be seeing the big picture and helping other people kind of frame things, understand things, organizing things. But th there's a lot of different ways you can look at this. Some, sometimes this is seen inside of personality frameworks and whatnot. 
But I actually think that when you really find how you can apply your sweet spot to your work and then follow something that just lights you up, that's where people succeed and that's where people have the most joy. And so my advice for everyone is find, do the work, do the internal work and really discover those spaces for yourself and then look at how you can engage inside of the community from that kind of power position. And I think that's really profound, Mary, because this happens across, I'm sure, many industries, but especially this industry, there is a, a little bit of a hierarchy, I think, in people's minds around if I'm not technical, if I'm a non-technical founder or if I'm coming into this space and I don't have that, that technical background, what is my value to this to, to this project? And I see this a lot in terms of that imposter syndrome again, kind of creeping mm. up versus understanding that in order to bring something to, to market, in order to realize a vision, you need lots of different people in the room with lots and lots of different strengths. And actually yes. having somebody who's really technical sat next to a whole bunch of people who are also really technical you're going to miss a lot of different things like not least that you're probably not going to translate your idea to your audience in a mm-hmm. very compelling way right you need the person that is is the visionary who's great at connecting with people who can sell and so on and so forth and so I think what you've mentioned is really helpful for people to kind of understand what's unique about me, what do I bring to the table, what is my superpower, and then how does that enable me to really add value to these different organizations? But it does start with the work. If you don't have those moments of self-reflection, then, you know, so... Yeah, this has been so great. And I'm looking at the time and I cannot believe that we have <laughs> almost kind of that we have flown through things. There's we're just scratching the surface of so many different things, so many more things I, I want to ask you. But it does mean that I can have you back um, <laughs> for a future season. I can find out how the roadshow when you can update us and, and we can we can tackle there's another day to tackle some more topics. But um, Absolutely. Um, yeah, so grateful for you sharing so candidly and generously with our listeners. For people that are listening and kind of want to follow along with your journey and what Holochain's doing, where can we find you? Fabulous. Well, the easiest place to send folks is to the website, holochain.org. There's newsletters. We actually have a very large community with lots of people at different, with different sweet spots involved at different levels. Plenty of people are technical, but plenty of people are not technical because it takes, like you said, it takes everyone for a project and for a movement to be successful. So please Follow us, find out about more. We have local community meetups that are starting up all over the, actually all over the globe right now. So we'll be in the UK later this year. We'll, we've got a couple of things happening in Vancouver later this year, plus Germany. I'm missing everything, but we're adding things to our event calendar on the website all the time. So look yeah. forward to seeing people in real life and online. Yeah, perfect. And we'll add those some of those things in the show notes to make it easy for people as well. But thank you so much, Mary. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you and to our listeners. We will uh, see you for another episode of Web3 Disruptors next week. Thank you, Jeanette.